Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pharma Launch Secrets. Here is Boji, your host, and today I am joined by Brandon Gallagher. Brandon is Chief Connected Health Officer at Publicis Health, and for over 20 years, Brandon has been working at the intersection of technology and health, identifying trends and behaviors powered by rapidly changing technologies. In that time, he's helped launch dozens of life science brands, and now spends most of his time helping his clients grow and thrive in a platform world. So welcome, Brandon. Thanks, Fuzzy. Good to be here. I know that was a mouthful. So whenever I use the word platform in one of the meetings, especially with the pharma prospecting clients, there is sometimes, no, there, there is kind of different understanding of the meaning of that word, right? Maybe you can help us demystify what, a, what platform world means. Yeah, I would say when we say we help our clients thrive and grow in a platform world, we mean a platform as a horizontal marketplace that facilitates interactions between creators and consumers, speakers and listeners, buyers and sellers. Each interaction creates increasing value for, for both sides, right? So the commonalities you see across platforms are things like they're data rich, they benefit from the network effect, right? Like the more interaction, the more you engage with the platform, the more valuable it becomes to both you and to the platform itself. They create personalized ecosystems. My platforms are different than your platforms. My experience with an Amazon or a Meta or like a telehealth platform can differ greatly based on how I interact with it. And then finally, they're direct to consumer, right? They take, they take the middleman out, they go right to the audience and they reap the benefits of each one of those interactions from a data standpoint, from a revenue standpoint, and from an attention standpoint. And so they actually then rent that attention out to brands, which is why we're advertising on platforms like Facebook, like Amazon, et cetera, like Google. So that's that's how we're built is to help kind of build help our clients thrive in this this platform world. Yeah, it used to be like you go one place a gazillion years ago and you buy ad space or on TV. So that's where the most attention is. And I feel like most of the modern day businesses are actually in the attention business at the end of the day. Because the ones that you mentioned are actually commanding our attention. And, and then wherever there is attention, that's where brands want to go. That's really interesting, uh, that fragmentation and how challenging it has become to navigate the waters. If you have a new product and you're launching, like, where do I go? And now I had one place, now I have 30 different places. Which brings me to the question of the changes between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Not just that things have changed in the past 10 or 15 years, but the massive change is happening right now, two years ago versus now. So what do you think are the biggest differences in terms of how pharma will approach launches after pandemic? Well, I mean, the biggest one would be the bar has been moved from a speed standpoint, right? I mean, we essentially, an industry showed that it's capable of coming out with a life-saving vaccine in 10 months. That alone changes the game, that there are new ways of working that if we just get out of our own way and put enough urgency behind it, that we can we can speed up the process. We, Albert Burla over at, at uh, Pfizer you know, likes to say they moved at the speed of science. He said he would never get pressured by political pressures 
on either side of the aisle. It was really just the speed of science, and they proved that you can actually make the speed of science quite quick. So I'd say I'd say that's the big one between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic is everything's faster. I would say we're looking at a new landscape of trust and connectivity. Certainly, every brand right now is looking at the role of telehealth or remote patient engagement in their service ecosystems or in their engagement ecosystems. Obviously, lack of Salesforce access is a big one. Everybody's struggling to find new engagement paradigms with healthcare professionals in particular, which is where a platform like Evermed comes in handy. I would say that there's a much more diverse competitive landscape out there right now. So you're not just looking to your biologic or your chemical competition, but you're also looking at digital therapeutics and biosimilars and digital platforms and things that also all weigh into those outcomes, essentially, that you're looking to drive. Yeah. It's interesting, like every single element that you mentioned could be at hours of like rabbit hole. It's like, how do we now deal with that as a pharma company? So you mentioned speed. You mentioned trust, you mentioned, you know, lower access to doctor's competition. And this is very different from how pharma is used to work. So there was a very like huge reliance on sales forces. I don't think that the word speed would be used to connect with pharma with the word speed. And then yet you see like, you know, when what happened with vaccines show that that can actually happen. <laughs> and then there is a trust which was kind of on the lower side and during vaccine time, pharma was riding high when it comes to trust. Now I read another report last week, the trust report, it shows like a little bit less now again. So it's like really, it's, it, it's very dynamic. And what so, have you done for me lately, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and also if you layer on, on, on top of that, I think what you highlighted in one of your talks recently that I came across that the number of scientific publication is doubling every year or every 72 two hours, there is certain huge number that I don't remember top, top of my mind. So you layer that amount of new scientific information and a human being that has 24 hours, then you have this also another challenge like how, how to engage with science in the right way with doctors and be helpful as a pharma company and be part of that scientific exchange. So when you layer all that, how can pharma balance speed, competition, uh, lack of access, build trust? I know it's a huge question, but uh, let's try to unpack at least one or two or three ideas or, or, or driving forces of launches in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at that doubling of information reference that you made, like the exponential increase in information these brands. I mean, we were, we're working on one of the largest oncology products uh, in the world right now. <clears throat> and there's not enough, like the amount of information that comes out about this product, there's no sales rep in the world that could have possibly been the purveyor of that information. So it's not to say that it wasn't necessarily the pandemic that, that did this access challenge in. It was trajectory that was heading there before this uh, awful disease kind of took over our lives for the last two and a half years. We need to look to other digital channels to be able to build what we all agree on, which is the relationship is still key. Like the relationship still drives behaviors. It's just not a person showing up with lunch that's the purveyor of that relationship anymore. We need to find alternative ways. And I think a lot of brands are starting to dig into that. Yeah. And it's the, the question then becomes, you know, there was a traditional over-reliance on that human-to-human -human interaction. Now, whether it's two humans like look, two of us right now through a digital channel or humans in person, it's still human-to-human -human interaction. And now, based on what you're saying is, okay, so how can pharma company lead with content that is relevant, that is updated at the right speed, that is fresh and trusted, and lead with that? And then only then engage in human to human interaction 
where it's called for, where it makes sense. And I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges. If you can share a little bit more on how you think that content and data interplay could work out for pharma in the right way. That would be great to hear some of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we call that human in the loop, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's not like we're ignoring, we're getting the human out of it completely. They obviously want to, they need to be a part of that overall relationship ecosystem. But all the other places where ACPs are engaging with our brand need to be, the human needs to be informed of that to have a better, more relevant relationship with the actual physician. Or if the physician's calling for clinical information, the MSL needs to know, all right, well, this is what this person tends to engage with and understands. So to your question around data and, and that fundamental shift, I think data identity, all of that is playing into one of the big major forces that's driving kind of transformational change in our industry, which is obviously our cookie-less future. So better understanding- What is future? I use that term, but a lot of time people ask me, what does it mean? It just means essentially the platforms, going back to the platform world, Google in particular, are removing cookies as a purveyor, as an identity marker within their, their ecosystems. Now they're replacing it with something very similar, different taxonomy, but essentially it's a refresh for the advertising industry in terms of how we gauge performance of our advertising, right? And, and identify our, our audiences in terms of who, who we're going to target. But really it's a, it's a call to action for brands and, and their enterprises to take control of their data, to get back to those things that make platforms powerful, that the fact that they're data rich and they understand their customers better than anybody else. We need to do that. Brands need to do that. So they need to start creating experiences that can garner better first party data and start enriching these profiles, these IDs of their customers so that they continue to, to build better and better experiences for them, which gets to your content piece, right? So every, every brand marketer out there is talking personalization. It's one of the big buzzwords of the last three years, personalization, personalization. But that actually, in order to be personalized, you need a more intricate content activation strategy, right? So we need to be able to pull through six different types of content or eight, eight different versions of that video to be able to actually be more relevant to each one of those sub-segments that we now know much more about because we're actually owning that, that ID. Evermed, I think, is a great platform for that to be able to activate on that new reality of personalization because you can, just like Netflix, know your customer and serve up the most relevant content. Yeah, and it's, um, it's interesting because what you're saying in the content activation and data, it seems like it really that content becomes almost a qualifier and a behavioral marker or what an individual would be interested in seeing next or how they want to interact next and that next best action, right? So if someone watched three or four or five videos on topic X, they're behaviorally <laughs> telling us that they're interesting in something and that we should be able in 2022 and <laughs> upcoming years to predict what they may be interesting, uh, interested to know after. I, I heard a term recently somewhere called the battle of graphs, right? The battle of HCP graphs. So if you think about, okay, the future of marketing, so if the companies that have a full picture of an individual, John Smith, on what content do they, do they consume on a first-party platform, which we power through, I and mean, that's one way, like video and audio personalized content, or third-party, or combining that with the data, 360 data that can be acquired, then you kind of have this overall graph in the same way that Facebook has graph on us or Google, they're able to personalize it <laughs> and, and, you know, with such precision. But that is a very different way of doing marketing and sales and very different way of go to market, 
right? That yeah, and in a, I mean, on our side, from a publicist standpoint, we've been doing that sort of knowledge graph exercise in on the consumer landscape for a long time. That's why we bought the the organization Epsilon a couple of years back, so that because they have two hundred plus individual IDs that are completely enriched with data from purchasing data and survey data and media consumption data, and, and to be able to build that graph of, around each individual ID is super important. Now, from an HCP standpoint, we can actually connect it to an MPI number to be able to actually say, you know what, here's the here's that position in their white coat moments in terms of their clinical realities. But here's what we need to take into account from their blue gene moments to be able to understand how to best engage them through content. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then the question is, you mentioned also the, the uh, notion of speed, right? So now we have, we have content, we have data. And now whenever you talk to anyone in the pharma industry and you mention the notion of speed, it's almost like you, f you feel this like emotional reaction to that. Like if you only knew how my MLR or DRT or whatever is an acronym. And so how can pharma even think of content or producing content and that play given the processes and the red tapes that exist? with compliance and review and all that. Do they need to set themselves up differently? Do they need to rely more on third party? What are your, some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's funny that it's like both sides, both from a client standpoint as well as an agency standpoint, we're both talking about content acceleration, 10x times the amount of content. How do we build an, like a factory model that just speeds this thing up? And then inevitably both sides get to that bottleneck where we're like, oh, it's the med legal bottleneck. We just can't get that volume through this part of the garden hose. I would say in the last year, certainly the, the pandemic has accelerated it. A good chunk of our clients are now coming to the table with, and we're willing to change the way we work. We're willing to start looking at uh, potential partnerships that use AI and, and machine learning to be able to actually accelerate approval processes or new workflows that, at, that, you know, instead of a single conveyor belt, it's actually 10 conveyor belts now with different authority levels in, uh, on, the, uh, on the client side. So there's some real kind of change management steam in the engine, essentially, on the uh, life sciences side. And I'm excited to see where that pans out from a content production standpoint. I was recently, yeah, it was a Reuters Pharma event. Philly. And one of the question, first question was around that approval of content. And it's interesting sometimes, especially folks who've been a long time in pharma, and I'm one of them, we only think about pharma industry. And, and one of the comments that I made is, do you really think that a monthly printed newsletter we get from, I don't know, Charles Schwab doesn't need to be reviewed and approved by five different committees? Do you really think that anything that Apple presents to the outside world doesn't need to go through multiple rounds of review and approval? I do feel like every industry with this, to a certain extent, and I gave an example finance industry because it's quite regulated, does need to go through an extensive, the bigger the company, the bigger the review and approval process, plus there is an industry, so industrial element. So I feel like pharma industry is not unique in that sense. It just requires as a part of the word like content factory, it does require something that it's set up to do that at the, at the massive scale, right? And that is always a question of how do we invest in that? Is it the critical investment? If it's a critical investment, then we'll do it. Like the more people, the faster you can do it, right? And now I hear there are some AI tools as well to do that. So I've been exposed recently to that. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to get there. I mean, to your point, financial services is just as regulated. I mean, maybe they don't have to reference right, peer-reviewed journals in a, spe in a specific way that we do, but review process is pretty rigorous. So 
So I agree. Yeah, we need to get there. Sometimes it's just our own legacy thinking that keeps us from getting there. Yeah. And so which brings me to the question of the role of agencies in these new pharma launches. And you oversee, you know, all the different publicist agencies and all their healthcare business. So I'll be curious to know where you think, how do you think that agency role will will evolve and what your clients are kind of asking from you? Yeah. Yeah. It's super exciting. I mean, we're increasingly seeing the need for a much more robust end-to-end partner for launches these days. It's no longer like, okay, we're eight months out from from launch, uh, let's get an advertising agency. It's it's actually moving much farther up the uh, up the the stream there. So, at Publicis Health, we've actually made strategic acquisitions over the years to actually build out what we call the the engagement value chain for pharma. So we we have capabilities that are focused on clinical trial recruitment and clinical trial engagement through market access and and payer strategy to patient and HCP insights that drive brand, the communication strategy at brand launches, including a capability that actually uses a natural language processing to, to understand conversations that are actually happening between doctors and patients in the doctor's office. Then we have the brand marketing agencies, like big classic uh, AORs that have been custom built for the new age. And then we also have enterprise media. So we're one of the, you know, the largest buyer of healthcare media in the world. So across that entire value chain, from a pharma standpoint, we're seeing the need to essentially bring all those capabilities together at the service of this brand launch in a meaningful way. Then the last part I would add onto that is like, when necessary, we can actually tap into places like Epsilon and Sapient to do things like identity work and cookie-less future, as I mentioned before. And then from a Sapient standpoint, real business, digital business transformation type stuff. So it's like, we're getting ready to launch. You don't have a digital asset management platform. You don't have a CDP. Like we can help you with that because we know we have two years now before launch. Let's get it done. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like everything is way more complex. And so I'm curious, is the natural reaction in a post-pandemic world that you hear from your clients more of, oh, this presents a massive opportunity or it's like, well, this just drives my already existing uncertainty about the success of this launch, which is already like at about 50% of chance of success, it drives that uncertainty even more up. Where do you, do you see, which one is, if I can ask directly, <laughs> what do you see more? So wait, say, say that one again. Is it more uncertainty or more, oh, that's a great opportunity, all these new technologies and this complexity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's been a bit of a pendulum, right? So it used to be, I would say even five years ago, we would present this ecosystem of what the world's going to look like for you at launch. And like half of it would be, oh, we could never do that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, our systems are in place. Our, our IT stack isn't there. Our ecosystem isn't, isn't contemporary enough. And so let's just do ads. Let's just do advertising. I think we've evolved 10 years in the last two years in terms of our ability to actually utilize these platforms and meet digital platforms in meaningful ways. And I, we're seeing a much more optimistic view on what is possible and what we can do together. Okay, that's great to hear. And does the level of complexity that increase, do you see that creating a situation where pharma will outsource more launch activities, even an end-to-end in some situation? I see there is a trend with the first-time launchers to, to outsource completely to someone else as opposed to pay royalties to a big pharma to launch. Uh, you do, would you see a trend of outsourcing a lot of these launch activities or 
farmer is now learning and then maybe they'll bring it in-house. What do you think will happen? Yeah, it's interesting. And each, each pharma is different, I think. That's, that's another pendulum. <laughs> so depending on like leadership and the transformation of, of each individual pharma company, it's either on the one side, which is like, let's internalize everything. We're going to do it all ourselves. It's all going to be in-house. Or they're on the other side where it's like, no, 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 we don't have these capabilities. Let's outsource every aspect of this launch. Obviously, it's usually somewhere in the middle. And even when they're completely insourcing, where everybody's in such a resource crunch right now, they're typically engaging us to help with the in-house stuff as well. Classic consultant answer. It depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> and then another question that I heard probably you know, many, many times in the past many years is the role of Salesforce. And interestingly enough, so yesterday I was looking at this new report, I think it's from EPG. So I was reading and it shows this gap where on the left side of the chart, it shows, I think it was related how physicians discover new treatments. That was a specific question and through which channels. And on the left side, it was showing that HCP's value, uh, only 4% values really uh, sales reps and find them very relevant in discovering new treatments. And then the right side of the chart was a like, farmer's opinion on that. It was 64%. So it's a massive gap if you think about it, 4%, 64%. So I was wondering, looking at that, is it that physicians are under, underplaying the importance of reps and pharma just sees based on their numbers and they're tracking that reps do play a strong role? Or is it simply that that's how we are used to farm. A lot of farm executives were reps 20 years ago and now they climb the ranks and that's the, the model that they're used to. So I'm like, what is really, what are really the insights behind this such a massive gap in, in, on this chart? Yeah, I mean, back when we were talking about some of the biggest shifts between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, and we talked a little bit about building the new world of building trust and connections, I think those numbers are skewed based on how promotional we were trying to be with those sales reps. Like I still see a world where you know, if you look at most those farmers don't even call them sales reps anymore. They call them reps. <laughs> so they went from like sales reps to reps. And then now they're talking like advocates or concierge or relationship managers, things like that. But they certainly have a role to play. It's just not necessarily in a, hey doc, did you, did you hear about this new drug use case? It's more like facilitating the fundamental shift from sales to service, which we do fundamentally think is an important shift. It's another one of those forces driving transformational change. And that means looking at your, looking at your customers through a completely different landscape. And I would say, I would argue that's on the, on the consumer side as well. Really understanding that your KPI at launch is the lowest bar is getting them on drug. The rest of the work is a lot harder. Keeping them on therapy, making them have, helping them have better decisions uh, around their health, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think sales reps, reps, whatever we want to call them, I think are an important part of the overall engagement ecosystem. It's just we need to shift how we use them. Yeah, the role. And, and I, th I remember reading many years ago for, for another industry and they were saying, well, it used to be, a, I don't know, one example comes to my mind right now is how cars were sold, right? So you would have a human being doing like a little bit of awareness, there will be ads, but then education will be done by the salesperson, right? And sometimes awareness about certain features and then also the closing. And here is the same thing. So the human being drawing all that. Now in other industries, there is, I, I constantly hear this statistic say, well, 80% of consumer decision to purchase something are done before talking to anyone from the company. In the same way, I haven't seen yet research that shows how many of the prescribing decisions 
are done before talking to anyone. <laughs> Basically, just by browsing the content, you know, being on a digital conference and things like that. That would be a really interesting question. I hope someone will do research on that. Well, I mean, if you extrapolate that up to the fact that we're going to, I mean, the significant physician shortage we're going to be experiencing the next 10 years, and everybody always says next 10 years, but it's now, we're short physicians now. In a lot of cases, a lot of those prescribing decisions are going to be made at a IDN level or a hospital system level. And the rep wouldn't be able to persuade one person to make a decision if it's against the protocol of the hospital system anyway. So yeah, I, I think you're right. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting dynamics. And I have to ask you this question, the following question, given that you're, you know, you're forward looking, but which is one of the biggest name in the space and you guys are looking at technology and what next year's would look like. So one of the buzzwords outside of our industry is metaverse and web three, not to even mention crypto and all that, because <laughs> all of us have friends and maybe you're one of them, maybe I'm one of them, we don't know, that went down through the rabbit hole of NFTs and all that. So what role do you think that metaverse will play just to high level it's hard to say i know but uh what do you think that web3 and then decentralized transaction and all that would play a role for pharma yeah it's interesting because you have to separate my gen x 48 year old self from what's actually happening out there right now and if you look at how our clients are behaving as it relates to the metaverse right now it's very it reminds me of of the late 90s like you know turn of the century where they're like do i need a website should i be there and then like flash forward eight years later should i be on facebook is that really going to be a thing very similar vibe to the metaverse and web3 in general i would say the biggest if you look behind the hype and at what's really happening there, the shift to Web3, you know, which essentially is the blockchain powered, decentralized next generation of the internet is going to drive some significant changes. And if you look from a pharma standpoint, I would be looking to things like how do I partner with decentralized autonomous organizations to, to help my decentralized clinical trials or to invest in new therapeutics or, or pieces of therapeutics, you know, pieces of research. A look to virtual reality in terms of training of a medical device company, things like that. Like look to the underlying forces that are shifting and don't just necessarily go chasing the shiny object. Yeah, it's going to be a completely new kind of space where we'll be interacting with a different set of transactions and, and behaviors that power those transactions. And I would recommend experimenting. Like de definitely do something, pilot something, because it's going to take you 10 years to figure out how to do it. <laughs> From a, from a legal standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, like everything's different. So try something. Yeah, and that, that's really what you're saying right now. And I, I experience it every day talking to also pharma companies is openness. Because it's one of the fundamental factors if you're showing something new and the question immediately becomes, but we tried something 17 years ago. And it, it doesn't work. work. Right, and exactly. That tells me there is no openness. <laughs> Maybe this team will be a late adopter. And that's fine. They're just taking that position. And the same report that I was just yesterday reading talks about one of the top insights from the report is open to agility and experimentation. I think that's a must because it takes some time to figure it out. But if you don't start experimenting, making small bets, then there's not going to be anything. This great conversation, Brenda, I love the forward looking. I feel like we spend hours on many of these topics and go deeper. I have some of the rapid fire questions that I'd like to ask you at the, at the end of this conversation. So are you ready? Shoot. All right. So your favorite industry buzzword for 2022? No, oh, we just talked about it. Metaverse. Metaverse. <laughs> All right. 
best book you read in the past 12 months? Uh, it's a tie between Think Again by Adam Grant and Of Dice and Men by David Ewald, which is the story of the, how Dungeons and Dragons was created. <laughs> oh, wow. By the way, Think Again, amazing book. I posted on LinkedIn that I was reading it recently, and I start to recognize preachers, prosecutors, and politicians more often now. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Great book. Yeah. What's your go-to song when you require some inspiration? Anything off OK Computer by Radiohead. Which is oh, strange. Wow. It's not very inspiring. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty anxious, but I love it. Radiohead has some some songs that inspire interesting vibes. <laughs> so, uh, who in the world of pharma would you most like to take out for lunch? I know it's a tough question for someone who works with pharma this much. Yeah, you can skip it. You have a right to skip it. <laughs> no. I think you know, I mentioned him earlier, so I'll I'll double down on him. Albert Burla, the CEO of Pfizer. I'd love to sit down for lunch and just hear his story the way he rose in that organization to become CEO and the organization and how he's running the organization now, I think is pretty inspiring. Yeah, fully agree. And then you mentioned and growing up in the 90s, what would you say to someone or advice you would give to someone who just starting in pharma marketing and product launches? You just mentioned it. I, I would say if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Not, not, do not get discouraged. What people think it's failure is just a feedback and a real yeah. time. Exactly. And then lastly, where can people find you online? I'm on LinkedIn, at Uncle Brendan on Twitter. Uh, and I would say those are two, the two primary platforms. How did you choose that handle? <laughs> It was a long story. I'm an old, it's an old gamer tag. I was a, a video gamer from way back, and that was uh, one, of my old, one of my old handles. That sounds really cool. Uncle so Brent. when Twitter, Twitter launched at South by when I was there, I was like, oh, I just panicked and picked that handle. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I hope someone doesn't get it before I get it. Almost like in the 90s exactly. when people are buying URLs. Like, I hope someone doesn't get it. Okay. <laughs> exactly. It's been wonderful to, to have you in this episode, Brandon. Looking forward to our conversation in the future and, and uh, see how we can be of help in this whole transformation of pharma launches and pretty much everything healthcare. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Bazzi. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.